Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Under the Shell, presented by Terrapin Sports Central. Today we're kicking off Season 2 with an exciting interview with a couple of members from the University of Maryland Fencing Club. And we're going to talk about Maryland's upcoming games, as well as preview the upcoming season for baseball and lacrosse. I'm your host, Cavett Ireland, and I'm here joined by... Sam Jane. Brendan Weissel. Big Mike. Let's get into it, shall we? All right. I mean, what a way to kick off Season 2. We're back. We took a long break. A lot of stuff has obviously happened in Maryland sports, but before we get to that, let's go to a very special interview with an Olympic hopeful, Sam. Tell us what we got. Yeah, so um, shout out to my mom, actually, um, Dr. Gold, a friend of the podcast. We give a little round of applause. Um, she sent me an article in Maryland today about uh, you know the Maryland Fencing Club and specifically um, the para-fencing team, um, which is wheelchair fencing, for those who don't know. And we actually brought on um, an Olympic hopeful who hopes to compete in Paris in 2024, who's won nationals. Um, and it was really interesting, guys, to be able to hear, um, you know, their perspectives and, and the sport of fencing, which has always been like kind of a cool sport, but you don't really know about it, and especially you don't know about para fencing, like how that works. So hearing about the different perspectives and, and how the sport is uh, manufactured almost was super interesting. So uh, take it away. You know, I think a lot of people at Maryland don't really know too much uh, about either of you or know too much about um, fencing clubs. So that's why I wanted to bring you on. So just kind of, if each you can kind of go through your stories and talk about how you got into fencing and how you kind of arrived at this club here at Maryland, uh, we can go from there. So I started fencing when I was nine. Um, the way I got into it was I was looking around for some kind of like sport or activity to do. And I happened upon this one like recreation center slash club place and they were offering chess but then my mom also noticed they're offering fencing and she was like you know you like chess and fencing or not chess and fencing but you like chess a lot and i've heard that chess is called or chess uh fencing is called physical chess and so in my mind i thought like that would be really cool to like apply chess and like sports together so like i could try and like you know uh, um like put some kind of like mental and like intellectual aspect to a sport and like try and like beat people that way so i started fencing there at the baltimore fencing center um so i stayed there for about mm, four to five years and through that i fenced for a little bit uh i got a little bit better and then i transferred to the homewood fencing club uh which is run by the johns hopkins fencing coach and through there, I was able to earn a rating. But because of how school and how COVID worked out, I couldn't really continue through high school. And so once I got accepted to UMD, I knew that one of my friends from my previous years was here. And so I kind of like rekindled like my love and like passion for fencing. And that's kind of how I ended up being the president and how I just, you know, just ended up being here. Um, and for myself, um, I actually, I started when I was, I think I was 16 when I started fencing. Um, I had actually come from, I think my first experience with fencing was maybe when I was 11 or 12. Um, I used to do wheelchair basketball and sled hockey. Um, and there was a, a clinic at the uh, adaptive sports program that I was at for fencing. Uh, the Johns Hopkins team was there running a clinic for wheelchair fencing. Um, and 
I wasn't able to find a club that could take me. Um, but that was definitely when I was 12, I knew from then, like, I really wanted to figure out a way to do fencing. Um, and it took me a while to get there, but eventually I found a coach, um, and got started. Uh, that would have been maybe my junior year. Um, for a while before that, I was also doing historic fencing, which is a different style. Um, and that's where I ended up finding the coach that has helped me do uh, wheelchair fencing. Yeah. Um, like you guys said, super interesting about I don't know, chess is the physical version of fencing, like, or, you know, like fencing is the physical <laughs> version of chess. That's pretty, pretty cool. Um, and I was just wondering, you know, you guys kind of touched on it, like how you started in fencing and it kind of re rekindled your passion. You have to find the right coach. How like limited uh, sports can paraplegic like fencing or any other sports be like? Because it seems like, you know, it's not like if I went out to play for an intramural team and I didn't like the guys I was playing with, I could just go find somebody else. Like it's a very limited, you know, sport. So how do you balance like maybe some you know, neglection you're going to face or, uh, you know, if it's not really for you, but you like the sport, like, how do you deal with that? Um, so I guess the, the para aspect is probably going to be different from the fencing side of it. I think in Maryland, we're pretty lucky where there's a fair amount of clubs. Um, so if you really do have problems with where you're fencing, um, there are other places that you can try out. Um, and most clubs, since it's an individual sport, have multiple coaches. So I think it can be a problem, but it's not, um, at least within Maryland, um, there, there are a lot of kind of, you can, um, move around, um, for me, for para fencing, that's a little bit harder just because, um, para fencing requires some different kind of, uh, coaching styles and there are some different rules. So finding a coach who's willing to learn that and work with you on that can be kind of a struggle. It was for me. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of see that as two separate questions, I guess. Um, so for my experience, because fencing is like such a niche sport and especially like Maryland doesn't have much of a fencing presence compared to like, say like New York, New Jersey or like the West Coast. If you were to like, try and like change how you want to fence or like find like a different environment it would be sometimes kind of hard and especially now because of covid i know that a few clubs have shut down due to mm -hmm. like lack of funds or yeah just coaches like not being able to like uh like sustain that kind of lifestyle for a little bit so i know that some of my club mates would either like you know go to like new york or like some kind of club in virginia um yeah, I mean, that for me, that's also why I transferred clubs uh, after a few years, because my, like, growth and, like, development in fencing was pretty stagnant. So, I mean, if you were to try and, like, uh, find, like, a better environment, you could try to find something better in Maryland. But um, if you were to get, like, the best of the best, you'd have to go out of state or even, like, maybe even farther to, like, I don't know, like, a couple states over. But... Yeah, that's what I know. <laughs> that's 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 actually a good point. Yeah, it it fencing has a much bigger presence in a lot of other states. Somewhere like New York, what I said is probably more true than somewhere like here.
Yeah, definitely. Being from New York myself, actually, a couple of high schools around us have varsity fencing teams, which is a like very interesting. You can see like they cover it in like local news at like high school level. Uh, my question is, so Noah, have you competed in both like fixed chairs and chairs where you can move? Um, so yes, but um, that's because in historic fencing, um, as far as I know, I'm the only one in a wheelchair who actively competes in that. Um, okay. So a lot of the rule sets are very kind of experimental. Um, so in some of them, I'm wheeling around. In some of them, I'm fixed. And then in parafencing, it's a much more established sport. So uh, you're always fixed um, in a frame um, with your chair um, with a set distance. So yeah, um, with, with parafencing, it's, it's always kind of you're in a fixed position. Have you noticed um, maybe... I guess there would be a difference because obviously the mobility, but have you noticed like a real, I guess, gap in how you're able to compete at the fixed level compared to like what you do when you're moving? Like, would you say you have to completely change your play style or how would you all go about that? Um, yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot that changes um, being able to be um, mobile, um, there are a lot of advantages and disadvantages to that because when I'm being fully mobile, it means that people in fencing are fully mobile as well. Um, so kind of trying to chase down ambulatory people can be difficult. Whereas if it's fixed, it feels, I don't want to say more fair, but it's, it's a lot easier to kind of have a consistent game plan with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and it helps that, um, I can kind of keep it separate in my head just out of um, the rule set and the style that I'm fencing are different between historic and para fencing anyways. So when I'm being mobile, it's a very different kind of style that I'm fencing anyways. Cool. cool. Do you have a preference of which one you like to do better or do more? Um. That probably depends a lot on my mood, honestly. Um, I really like both of them for very different reasons. No, I got to ask. So when you're fencing in the club, it, I read that you have your own separate competition chair and then people that you're facing off use like your everyday chair. So take me through, how do you even like, like how did you purchase a competition chair? Like what went into that? Like how does that oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, so um, unfortunately, parafencing is kind of an expensive thing to get into. Um, you have to have it's your your own. Um, the United States has a uh, or has a um, company that will make different kinds of sports chairs, so basketball chairs, rugby chairs, um, and Eagle also makes uh, wheelchair fencing chairs. Um, so that's where I had gotten my chair. Um, most para-fencers uh, have to apply through grants because they are not cheap. Um, and along with the chair, you also have to uh, fence with a wheelchair fencing frame, uh, which is what locks your chair in. Um, that's when the article was written. It was um, because our club, um, the treasurer at the time, uh, Logan Torres, had been... Um, trying to uh, get Reckwell, or I'd been asking Reckwell if uh, they could actually get us that frame, which we were really lucky that they did, because um, those are not cheap. Um, 
So it's it's set us it set me up really well to be able to train at the club. Yeah, that's that's like that's that was a that's a good answer because I was interested in how that works. And then for mm -hmm. Luke, um, you know, two two full question: How many members do you have in the club as a, as a general? And then does it ever take like convincing or you know like just come on like hey like this can improve your game to convince members to like duel in like a seated position um or is that not is that something that they're all like you know pretty pretty active in um yeah so members wise they'd be around like 60 to 80 members but about 20 to 30 active um i say 60 to 80 because anyone can join and you can show up at any time but about like 20 to 30 like consistently show up um sorry can you repeat the second question <laughs> i forgot yeah, no, no worries. I just was wondering, like, does it ever take some convincing to get, like, other fencers to, like, practice in a seated position? Um, or are they all pretty active in terms of, like, okay, let's do this? Um, how is the, how do those conversations go? Ah, okay. Um, well, personally, I haven't fenced in a seated chair yet, uh, but I know that a lot of people do, and it honestly is very interesting because fencing, like, there's a mobile aspect, and then there's, like, the blade work aspect so if you're taking away that one part it like accentuates the other part so i say that like when you take away like being able to like control the distance and like the timing you have to like focus more on like angles and positioning so i think that some members have like done it because like first because it's interesting because this is cool and this is a very expensive thing that we should get <laughs> to use and um because like it like it uh introduces them to like a different part of fencing that they would not be able to experience almost anywhere else. Do you think, uh, from a training standpoint, that using a or having a uh, fencer sit in a fixed chair would be uh, helpful for them to expand their blade work, and then like before introducing mobility, they would just use the chair, and then just so they can uh, work on their sword skills um i think that trying to i think that um sitting in a fixed chair and then try to practice does help a little bit but it does kind of neglect that one important aspect of distance in fencing like uh, for example we had a competition yesterday and i kept telling people like to watch their distance watch like the tempo watch how like how to dictate like when things happen so if you're trying to like focus completely on blade work like the other guys like gonna surprise you like almost all the time with the different different speeds of like how they're moving or how they're like they're retreating or advancing so obviously blade work is important but i would say that distance is honestly the most important thing um especially what my coaches told me like don't rely on like your hand to like save you all the time you should rely on like your feet and try and like make sure that you're dictating how the game is going and to watch like the speeds. Cause if you're imagining like someone like just walking at you at like a very, like the same tempo, like all the time with like a knife or something, like I'm sure you can probably guess like when it's going to happen. But if you're to like juke them out or like move like slow, fast, fast, slow, it's going to happen. You're going to have a much lower chance to like try to parry them away. So I think that you should train both the distance and the blade work aspect, 
but if you just try and do the blade work aspect all by itself, you're gonna like uh, ruin like the development of like distance. Kind of adding on to that, um, I was when when I first came to UMD, um, I was we we were just getting out of COVID, so a lot of uh, club membership was kind of starting from scratch, and uh, they didn't have a uh, they didn't have someone who was experienced in saber. Um, so when I came um, as someone who does primarily saber, um, I kind of ended up becoming team captain off of just being the most experienced member there. Um, and parafencing has kind of its own distance and timing to it um, because a lot of the movement you do in the frame is going to be similar in principle, but in practice, it's it, it, the feeling is different. Um, and so that's not something I, you know, I having to teach new people footwork was a struggle for me. Um, but something that I did notice based off of the drilling and based off of how our saberists are doing now, since I've been the one who's had to kind of train them up, um, a lot of them end up having really solid blade work and hand speed considering they're really new. Um, and that's because that's what I kind of can emphasize and what I do know a fair amount about. Um, and yeah, a lot of the issues that we're running into now is a, we really need to be drilling footwork and helping them figure out um, specifically like able body distance and timing. Um, so it, it, I, I would agree that I think it just like, it benefits teaching both at the same time or emphasizing footwork first um, as for ambulatory fencers. Um, I, well, even for para fencers, you have to learn how to manage distance. It's just, a very different skill set than using your feet. Yeah, you guys have definitely both found uh, a lot of enjoyment uh, fencing at Maryland. Um, do you have any goals or things you want to accomplish uh, after Maryland or um, after you're done with college in, in the fencing world? Um, well, I'm definitely not at the level that Noah is. So, <laughs> uh, um, I don't know. I've been the same rating since high school and I don't imagine it's probably gonna improve very much. So I think beyond the club and beyond Maryland, I would try to, I would like to at least be part of a club around here and maybe pursue it recreationally. Um, I'm definitely not gonna do like, like every other week I would do a tournament like I used to, maybe like once a month and then maybe a little less than that as I get older. But yeah, I still wanna keep fencing close to my heart and I definitely want to you know be part of like the Maryland fencing community uh throughout my years um yeah so uh for me I guess um I I actually I train I work with and I guess I'm now a part of the USA uh para fencing team um so uh, my plans this semester, I actually had to, I've had to go part-time uh, at UMD because I am um, going to be spending a lot of time traveling. I have a uh, training camps in next week, like I think maybe three weeks from now. And then uh, I will actually be traveling to Pisa for a World Cup in March. Um, national championships are also in March. Um, I'm I'm looking at a really busy fencing schedule this semester. Um, and broadly speaking, I guess being a part of the USA team, um, the end goal is Paris 2024. 
Um, that's kind of. Let's go, Noah. You got to represent Thanks. Maryland. Come on. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we're. I'm. I'm trying. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess that's. I don't want to say that that's short term because um, that 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 is kind of a really big goal. Um, but I guess that's two years from now. Um, after I graduate, um, I'll. I guess I'll be continuing to compete with the team. Um, and a lot of it will kind of be based off of how I'm doing. I, I think after I'm done really doing, I guess, the international competitions, which I don't really, a lot of that, it's expensive and time consuming. A lot of that is based off of what I can manage with my job and career. Um, but I kind of plan on, I like like Luke, eventually I will probably just be fencing at a club. Um, and maybe competing sporadically, but that's kind of, I guess, that's not exactly what's on my mind now, but I imagine that's where I'll end up eventually. How, how hard is, like, what is, how do you compare yourself nationally to other, you know, para-fencers who are probably going to be going for the same spot in the Olympics? Because you play, you, you know, you competed in like a, in a club in Maryland, but how do you know like where your game stacks up versus nationally and like how nervous are you? Because I mean, competing in the Olympics is like, even if you just kind of like, that's like the big goal you reach, even if it's a short term goal, I mean, it's the Olympics, right? So, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I guess I, I probably should have mentioned this when we were um, kind of talking about our fencing careers, but um, before coming to UMD, I had actually, um, I had won national championships for men's saber. Um, and uh, I've medaled in epi and foil as well. Um, the USA, at least on the men's side, um, the USA para fencing team is developing. Um, a lot of nationals have been kind of, I mean, it, it's still obviously a competition and it's hard work, but um, it, it, it also can kind of double as, you know, we're all kind of a tight knit community and we're in this together and we're competing, but we're also kind of trying to prepare each other for, you know, uh, worlds. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of, at, at this point, I have a pretty good idea of um, where my fencing has to be on to kind of be competitive at the World Cup level. Um, and it's not quite where I would want it to be, um, to be comfortable, like, at a, at a World Cup, obviously. But um, I, I can definitely, I've been making improvements. And um, I've, I guess since last year, I've been consistently competing at World Cups. I think my first one was actually in April of last year. Um, and since then, I've definitely seen a lot of growth, and it's not unrealistic to me that I, I could make it happen. Um, UMD has actually been really helpful in that aspect because a lot of my um, a lot of my training has been getting lessons, working with a coach, and then the only real times I get the only time I really get a good amount of bouting in um, in a wheelchair fencing frame, which is kind of the experience you need. Um, it's not something that I had at my club and at like my club before coming to UMD. So having it here, I think it's really helped supplement an aspect of like my training that has been, I guess, lacking. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely uh, you know, incredible that, that Maryland fencing is kind of um, here at the university has kind of helped 
shape your game for, I mean, the world level, which is um, incredible. Um, I guess it's kind of, we wrap up. Um, let's say someone's listening to this. Uh, they're on the fence about joining uh, Fencing Club here at Maryland. What would you say to them? What's your pitch? How are you going to get them to join? All right. It sounds like my job. Um, but uh, <laughs> I would say that it doesn't hurt in any way. Um, we provide all the equipment. And to be honest, um, without spending a lot of money, this will probably be like the best chance you'll get to try out not only this sport, but like so many other sports like boxing or wushu or whatever. Um, so, I mean, it doesn't hurt. Uh, I mean, who doesn't want to like play with the swords or fight with the swords in any way? Uh, I mean, I heard that like there's one Olympian who like joined fencing because she saw like Peter Pan fighting with a sword. Or you can just you can join because like you like Star Wars and fighting with the swords. Either way, um, I think it's a very fun experience and interesting way for you to like get into this really like niche sport, and it doesn't hurt. And um, yeah, I mean that's about it. Yeah. So uh, where and and when do you guys meet? And yeah. Um. So we meet um in the SPH volleyball gym oh, on Tuesdays from four to six p.m. and Thursdays and Fridays from seven to nine p.m. And then you said competitions on the weekend? Uh, yeah, competitions on the weekends, uh, depending on the schedule, but usually like every weekend or every other weekend. Awesome. All right. Well, Luke and Noah, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate you taking this time and uh, best of luck uh, in your future careers. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having us on. Thank you. Thank you, Thanks, guys. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Have a good one. Yeah, enjoy Paris. Have a good one. All right. And now, moving into the spring sports season at the University of Maryland, the one thing that everybody knows about Maryland is that it's a lacrosse school. <laughs> Basketball teams, football teams, we talked about them a lot in the podcast. You know, they're going to be all right. Uh, maybe squeak into the rankings. Basketball team, 13th, we talked about that. Uh, football team won a bowl game. But Maryland, tried and true, lacrosse school. Men's lacrosse, women's lacrosse. Men's lacrosse started on Saturday. Anybody watch the game? What were you guys' thoughts? Yeah, I caught a little bit of it. Um, I just thought that the attack is something that a lot of people were kind of worried about, you know, for a number one team coming in the preseason. It was a little bit of how are they going to manufacture offense. They lost a lot of guys last year, um, but it looks like they were right on point. I mean, they had they had eight goals like that, it felt like, at one point of the game. Um, and I just thought that it was um, a good step against, a you know, Richmond isn't anything special, but to be able to get out and, and have that type of opening um, is something that I thought was really, really good. There is never going to be a doubt that the University of Maryland's lacrosse team, Coach John Tillman, is going to produce a good offense. And that's something that we saw this weekend when uh, they beat down the Spiders. We saw a lot of good movement from the guys, a lot of good uh, different sets. Saw a couple one four one, saw one three two even in there. We saw a lot of movement. I even saw, I forget whose goal was it, but I think it was fairly early on. We saw a nice little dummy cut. And then with the uh, step down, someone was able to put it away. I don't remember. It might have been... Um, might have been Owen Murphy, not exactly sure, but it was it was a well worked team goal. What's and a dummy cut? Just so a dummy you know. cut. Okay, so there was so a C cut is when the attackman on the crease pops out and cuts in the shape of a C, and so he did a C cut from the crease, and he was the low crease guy, and he flashed his stick looking for the pass, mm -hmm. but it was a fake one. So the guy uh, had the ball. The ball was behind the cage yeah. at X and. Instead of passing it to him, who was he was open on the crease and probably could have scored as well, <laughs> but there was a uh, a trailer from oh, gotcha. the top of the box who 
was open for the step yeah. down. There was no one in front of him. He was coming downhill, and there's absolutely no chance for Logan that. McEnany was absolutely rock solid right. in the net, and you can look out for some more of that because yeah. he is – he did start, yeah. He did start? Okay, yeah. He's, and then uh, he's Teddy a, Dolan came in for the last time. In the okay, last okay. Yeah, he is a rock in that he is something that is always going to be sure that he's going to always produce. He's always going to make some crazy saves. He's always going to give some great outlets. He is one of the best goalies in the country for a short stick defensive midi, which Maryland has had no shortage of these last few years with uh, Jonathan Donville, who is now in the... Uh, NLL and had Roman Puglisi last year, Bubba Fairman, and now even Dante Trader, who is uh, coming over from the football field. Maybe we'll get to Dante Trader a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, so I was in the stands yesterday. Uh, very, very cold game. Uh, <laughs> as everybody who was anywhere in America this past weekend knows, it was cold. Uh, but sure. one thing I noticed, uh, Maryland definitely bringing the energy, uh, a couple big saves. Defenseman would look over at the uh, sideline and get, the, get everybody fired up. Um, another crazy stat. 30th straight opening win for Maryland lacrosse. And it's just something uh, you would expect uh, from Maryland. Um, those are the two main things I noticed. Uh, and then coming up next Saturday, the 11th, uh, Maryland going Maryland going to visit Loyola, Maryland, on a game that they uh, once again should be able to take care of. Uh, although Loyola, Maryland, prehistorically solid lacrosse school. And moving over to the other lacrosse, women's lacrosse, another hot lacrosse team at Maryland. Uh, they're number two in the country right now, and they're Big Ten preseason favorites. Do you want to kind of talk about their season so far and what's ahead of them, Brendan? Yeah, so they play their first game uh, Saturday 11th for St. Joseph's. Uh, Ali Bosco, Marsh Donovan, Emily Sturming, all earning first team uh, recognition in the country, um, which is much of the same from the men's lacrosse team, something you would expect. Um, St. Joseph's, they played them last season to start off their campaign, and Maryland won 20-6. to six, And I would expect we would see something uh, very similar, although St. Joseph's did uh, have their best season historically last year, made the NCAA tournament. It was their first time they were ever ranked uh, as a lacrosse school, and, but they ended up losing to another Big Ten school, Rutgers, uh, in the first round. They had a very successful A-10 tournament. Uh, so St. Joseph's coming off a very successful season last year, but I would expect that Maryland would absolutely take care of them very similar to how they did at the beginning of the season last year. Yeah, definitely. I think that you know when you're looking at the Big Ten preseason favorites, um, they're coming into this year. They're obviously, you know, looking to take care of business, win the Big Ten again, get back to, you know, winning and or contending for a national title. Um, and it, I mean, you're bringing back guy people who are really just you know studs on um, each level of attack. You know, you got defenders Abby Bosco, Marge Donovan, and then you even have your goalie. Um, Emily Sterling, who are earning you know first team Big Ten recognition, so they're bringing back a lot of talent. They're obviously bringing in elite recruiting classes. Um, it should be another good year for women's lacrosse. Yeah, uh, looking to get back into the uh, into the mix, contending for that title. You know, they still have that bitter taste from uh, that that Boston College loss last year. Charlotte North did all she could to uh, thwart the Terrapins last year. She was she was a hell of a player. She. She had uh, women's college lacrosse in the palm of her hand, and Maryland was unfortunately just unable to best her. So the uh, the Lady Terrapins are definitely going to be looking to bounce back and uh, definitely make a run deep into the playoffs this year. I would watch out for them. Yeah, men's and women's lacrosse are both sports we'll be talking about uh, probably all the way to the end of the semester, and hopefully um, a very long time as, as uh, we would assume that Maryland lacrosse is, is successful. I wonder how many, if you think about it, like the three big spring sports are obviously baseball, lacrosse, and women's lacrosse, right? And I wonder how many teams or programs in the country have all 
conference winning teams in each of those three sports mm-hmm. like maryland baseball maryland lax maryland women's lax all won their respective league and i wonder how many i mean clearly the spring season is probably the strongest in terms of maryland sports so should, by far yes should be a really entertaining um you know year for for maryland fans because you know you got three teams that are probably competing for regional and national titles i would say um one school that would definitely be capable of that would be virginia yeah always uh always looking to dominate the acc you know their basketball team is always lighting it up they won a national championship a few years ago and that they actually were uh preseason ranked number one in men's lacrosse and mm-hmm. they have a good women's program year in year out so right right in our, right right next to us but um yeah kind of talking about you know another spring team we touched on the two baseball coming into full swing here we we're always seeing the guys out practicing on our walks to class so they're getting ready for the year and our and first ever interview was uh baseball trainer so tyler cronin friend of the friend of the pod and, it's all and full circle yeah <laughs> we also have you know a member of the pod who's covering the team mike um gonna be writing about the mm-hmm. the squad for terrapin sports central so give us a little preview mike what are we looking at in terms of this you know bringing back um talent from the you know, Big Ten winners. Right. So they're going to be returning this year after their best year in program history. They went 48 and 14. Fortunately, they fell in the NCAA College Park Regional, but they won their first ever Big Ten championship. Head coach Rob Vaughn uh, won a Big Ten coach of the year for that improvement. And this year, they're ranked number 16 in the Baseball America preseason poll. They're going to be led by Matt Shaw. I know, Sam, you wanted to talk about Matt Shaw a little yeah. bit. I mean, the guy's a dog. He's going to be a first round MLB draft pick Um, really just brings a lot of positional flexibility Um, scouts can get him at third they can get him at short he really just is an all-around great defender and then you know he brings that kind of five tool ability that um, you're always looking for he's got good speed can hit for pop really solid um, you know eye. I think that's one of his biggest strengths is his ability to spit on some tough pitches um, down and away those type of things that a lot of prospects you see, that's like their one issue is that when they make contact, they're obviously great, but are they able to get that on-base percentage up by drawing walks, you know, facilitating runs for their team? And, and Shaw really has that. So you're obviously looking at him to lead this team, Mike, but what are some other talents that you're looking at? So according to D1Baseball.com, Luke Schleiger is going to be the number one catcher this season in college baseball. Mm-hmm. Last year he had a super high batting average. He batted 353. Um, he had 79 walks and 54 runs, and he's likely to lead off the team again this year because he had a 495 on base percentage. And then pitching wise, you got uh, Jason Savakul. Last yeah. year he pitched 107.2 innings. Savvy had- Fridays, which it should be Savvy Saturdays, mm-hmm. but Friday is obviously the most important day for them uh, in college baseball. So he'll be going. He's their ace, you would think, right, Mike? Had an eight and three record, two ninety three ERA. Um, he was an All it. Big Ten first team selection and a D one baseball All American last year. So he brings so much talent to that pitching staff. It's yeah. such a help when you have someone like him. They will be missing though Chris Aline this season. Uh, last year in his fifth year senior year, uh, the outfielder had a team high 24 homers last year, so you will be missing that power hitter there. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, when you look at them losing last year to UConn, they didn't really have that um, you know juice in the bat that uh, really could put them over the top. And you know, um, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how they facilitate offense mm-hmm. outside of Shaw. Um, you know, who's producing runs, who's driving them in. 
Um, I think that's going to be interesting because obviously the defense is a strength. They're one of the best defending teams in the country. They got a lot of good positional versatility. But Brennan and Cav, do you guys see this team repeating? Like, what do you think of it? The Big Ten's kind of taking a step back this year. Michigan, who's always competing, they lost their head coach who went to Clemson. Um, so the league is open for the taking. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, coming off such a historic season, it's obviously going to be the goal to continue that success. But losing pieces, I know Mike wanted to talk about that. Uh, it, it may be tough to, to get back to the level. Uh, Mike, so who did Maryland baseball lose and who's going to fill in those roles? The biggest piece that they're missing, like I said, is Chris Olin. He, uh, he had the most homers on the team. Um, so you're going to have to expect a lot from Schleiger and Schlaw to add that offensive production. Yeah, I think I think definitely um, the Dirty Chirps can get back to where they were last year and even go farther in the uh, in the postseason. You know, Luke Schleiger was ranked as the uh, number one uh, catcher in the Big Ten coming into the season, so I think it's going to be something exciting to look at. Uh, the mindset going into this year totally different than last year, though. Right. Now you are expected to win. So do they? You know, what is that mentality going to be like? I know Coach talked at uh, the media day that. The players have been pretty professionals this offseason. They did not enjoy seeing UConn dogpile right. at uh, Bob Turtlesmith Stadium <laughs> uh, ending their season. So let's see if they come out with juice um, and you know want to get back to where they were and farther. That's a big thing that, Mike, I'm really glad he brought up. Is that It's a huge difference Like if you think about it when you're the hunted versus you're hunting. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like you're the team that – you go into because ba baseball is a long season, right? And so if you're playing the middle of the pack team, let's be honest, it's harder to get up and like play. You know, you're you're consistently um, elite for nine uh, and attention to detail for nine innings. Like that is, or you know, however long the game goes, that's a tough task to take. But when you're getting up to play the reigning Big Ten champs like Maryland, mm -hmm. you're obviously gonna, you know want to want that game it's going to be prime time usually you're going to have all the motivation in the world so it'll be interesting to see how maryland handles that for sure um but brendan you know spring sports on the come up however we're still in you know winter season as you said it's freezing outside so tell us about the men's team um the basketball squad that's really starting to put things together here yeah men's basketball team coming off a uh impressively large win yeah i wouldn't uh, say impressive it's good they can put in impressively large because minnesota yeah. is horrible <laughs> coming up on saturday against minnesota uh four straight wins riding that momentum haven't lost a big 10 game at home which i think is the big thing to mention uh, i've been at most of those home games i know uh, most people at this table have also been at most of those home games a uh, lot of energy uh, but the one thing about the maryland uh, basketball team that we didn't you know we get a chance to talk about because we were away uh, is that when they do not come out of the gates and start strong they have a really tough time coming back we saw that they made an effort in the purdue game uh, but across the board when maryland does not get out to strong starts they've really struggled to come back in those games and i think that that is something we're gonna have to look for in the big 10 tournament um, and as we get towards march madness that is going to be their downfall and why they end up losing a game yeah, I definitely think that, I mean, if you watched after the Indiana game, Willard talked about how he was really proud of their attention to detail from the jump. You know, they weren't making threes out being at that game. They started off like one of 10, one of nine. It was horrible, but they were in the game, always within striking distance, five, three, one point. You know what I mean? And even when shots aren't falling, you have to be, you know, competing defensively, generating good looks because eventually those shots are going to start to fall. And I think that that's something that they've really, I think, started to turn around is, Brendan, like you talked about, when they would go down and almost would just, you know, landslide into an L. But they've started to kind of maintain their composure when they, you know, don't start the game off hot. 
And so, Cav, I think that that's like something that's been big for this team. Um, but they got a couple big ones coming up. You know, you they haven't really won any competitive road games. Minnesota's their only road win. How do you see the this week coming up with, you know, you got MSU on Tuesday. That's going to be a big game for them. Yeah, I think they definitely have their work cut out for them. I think, uh, obviously, great start to the season. Hit a couple of rough patches along the way. But I think they're starting to find their footing again. They've uh, strung together a couple Big Ten wins. And I think uh, MSU is going to be a big a big. Uh, marker or indicator of where they're going to be at so if they can comfortably take care of them then they're going in the right direction you got to look at Jameer Young Jameer Young has I and mean, he is the offensive key to this team he's been on fire the past eight games averaging 20 points total uh, for the season he's averaging 16 I know we talked about before this season started how he was at Charlotte last year we know he can play well against those mid-major teams, but how is he going to play mm-hmm. in Big Ten competition? Right. He has shown up yeah. these past few games, so that, that's great to see. And then do guys like Julian Reese and Donta Scott, do they feed off that offensive energy that he's giving that's right. key to this team succeeding? Yeah, that's a question I wanted to propose to you guys. Is Jameer Young the best guard in the conference? The Big Ten, we obviously know, is the league of big men. Zach Eady, Hunter Dickinson, Trace Jackson Davis, those are all guys that really dominate. But, I mean, when you look at Jameer and, and the season he's put on, especially at home and in big spots, I mean, he dominated Illinois. We all know that. He dominated Indiana. You know, he's really performed well when the lights have been brightest in those games. So he's earning national recognition. You start to see him on, like, watch list. Do you think he can be a first-team All-Big Ten guard? What are you looking at in terms of um, his talent and, and, and where he's gone this season? I think he's on the right track, too. I think yeah. he's definitely one of the most uh, – explosive players explosive guards in particular in the big Ten. he's very quick off the dribble he's very crafty really springy too he's just he's just got that explosive step in him and i think he can uh he often creates something out of nothing which is has proven very helpful for the terrapins especially going back to that uh that game-winning buzzer beater that he had early on in the year so i think definitely jameer young is up there and is making a very strong case for being a first team all big 10 guard yeah, definitely. I mean, the only really other considerations you would think, and we'll see it coming up on Saturday, is Jalen Pickett for Penn State is really, really good, too. So I think Jameer has put himself in a, in a, in a really good spot, and, and Maryland's put themselves in a good spot. They're projected to be um, on the 8-9 line right now um, by the Athletic in, in their recent bracket watch. So, you know, I mean, I think Maryland fans would have taken that before the year if you told them that they'd be comfortably in the tournament. And they still have room to go up. I mean, you look at their remaining schedule, it's very possible that they could – you know, rattle off a couple of big wins here. They get Purdue at home. You know, you got Minnesota at home, at Nebraska, Penn State at home. They're not facing really the big dogs in the conference other than Purdue, obviously. So I think that it's very possible that they could get themselves up into that top four line for the Big Ten tournament, which means you get a bye, which means that you're facing, you know, uh, a weaker team, and then you get to maybe parlay that into success in the NCAA tournament. Sam, you asked me an interesting question the other day. You said over under i believe one and a half no two and a half two and a half half wins in the big tens plus the ncaa tournament what do you think i want to get your guys opinion first you asked this as well and i said yes and i said over to be yes yeah in the big 10 tournament big 10 tournament plus ncaa tournament so like combine the two do they get over or under two and a half wins in those over i think there's a lot of factors that play into Mm -hmm. it and mostly depends on obviously the seeds if Maryland does not get a bye in the Big Ten tournament, I would say over. You would think. 
that's like gives because you're playing. I would say over, yes. Team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If Maryland gets a bye, I would say under. That's right. a good, that's a good I point. I could see Maryland losing in the first in their first Big Ten tournament. To game. like a five seed because you know if you're the fourth because they're right. not getting up. Well, to it's the just top it's just line. historic Maryland. That's <laughs> we also got to remember the Big Ten it's is a, new era. a basketball oh, conference. It is a new era. Like, and it's also it's so a, jumbled. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, like it. Every every team is around the same. Like Maryland's fourth in the conference right now. If they lose on Tuesday, they could drop all the way to ninth. Like it's like yeah. it's crazy how uber it is talented. For me, talented. I think the the Purdue game is the big test. One of the best teams in the country coming to College Park, and it's a team that if they want to have any success in the tournament, like Sam said, eight nine line, you know, maybe six would be the the highest seed they could get. Yeah. They could drop to eleven or twelve, which means they're gonna have to face a very strong opponent in the second round if they're even able to win their first round game and if they're not able to put up a strong performance against one of the best teams in the country at home then I think the rest of the season for Maryland isn't looking too promising still undefeated in uh, home Big Ten games Definitely. Well, I don't know. Do you count UCLA as a home Big Ten game? That's what I've been talking That's what I've been wrestling with myself. That is, is a good point. The Big Ten? They're not now. They will be. <laughs> then no. True. I think that to Brennan, I, Brennan makes a really strong point about the bye and like and, and the Purdue game really testing how they play against elite teams because, you know, they have big wins in the beginning. Illinois looked like a big win, but Illinois is kind of falling off the map. Indiana, I think if you want to follow a recipe, Indiana, you know, loses on the road. So say Maryland loses to Michigan State on the road, like how Indiana lost to Maryland on the road. Mm-hmm. But then they come back home as like a bounce back spot and beat the number one team in the country. I think that that's a rep, um, you know, a recipe that Maryland can follow. And I also think something that we men- can mention, then we can wrap it up, is that um, the guard play. Guard play in March matters so much. You mm-hmm. think of the recent tournament teams that have won, elite guards. Baylor, the year they won. They had Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler. Virginia, the year they won. Ty, Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy. Having good guards in March matters so much. And Jameer Young is probably one of the top five, top ten guards in the in the country. So I think that that's something that you can um, look toward as optimism for the Terps. And then you got to look at Hakeem Hart. Is he going to step up into a, a bigger role and efficiently yeah. shoot the three? We know this team has been really streaky shooting mm-hmm. the three so far this season. So, like, if there's a time to get hot, it's in March. you got to hope that it comes mm-hmm. in March, exactly. This might be kind of a wild take. I think Maryland will have more success in the Big Ten tournament, meaning go farther if they do not get a bye. They're going to have to get comfortable. And I think that Maryland can beat any team in the Big Ten, but I don't think they'll be able to do it unless they have a strong performance in their first game and gain momentum. That's true. You also play a weaker opponent first. Exactly. And then you get, you know, maybe to pick off one of the, the lower of the top tiers. That's a good point, Brendan. I don't I don't. Disagree. Although it is hard to win like four or five straight games. That it, yeah. But, you know, only time will tell. So let's uh, let's talk about women's basketball. Sam, you've been covering them pretty uh, pretty closely. So uh, what are your thoughts and what are your thoughts on the upcoming game? Yeah, Brendan, I mean, they, they're really starting to find the groove, the women's team, that is. I mean, they've won 11 of their last 13, although they did suffer a huge loss on the road to Iowa. And I know, Brendan, you got it, something funny I was, about I was that. following that game on social media, see how Maryland women's basketball was doing. And the third quarter score graphic had Maryland up by like 13. <laughs> and then I looked at the final score and Maryland hadn't even got that many points yet. And I was just so confused. Like, they messed up the score graphic. And so Maryland lost that game. But for a while, I was like, wow, up by 13. Yeah. On just, the road. We just outscored it an incredible margin in the second half. But it was too good to be true. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that that's that's something that like I you know you you gotta you just gotta laugh at if you're on Absolutely. the Maryland social team. But um, something they're not laughing. I mean, Caitlin Clark. I I'm, this might be a hot take to say I think she might be the best individual player in all of college basketball, men's and women's alike. Like in terms of for their perspective, league, she is dominant. I mean, forty two, forty two, bro. Jackie and, Robinson. 
Yeah, I mean, she's... <laughs> she is absurd. I mean, her vision, her ability to score it from, like, 30-plus feet out out beyond the arc is absurd. And then they also have, you know, um, their big, their big um, you know, setter is Cezano, who had 28 on the day. They call him... Brenda Fries called it the C&C Law Firm. <laughs> and, I mean, they talked all week about how they wanted to stop him, and then they didn't. So... I think that that's – I was one of the better teams. Maryland's transition defense was awful in that game, so I, that's something they got to work on. But they do have a big game coming up. We're recording on Sunday. They play Ohio State at 4 today. Um, that'll be a big game. Obviously, this episode will come out after that. I think if they win that game, which I think they will, Ohio State's in a slide, lost three of their last four, um, that can really propel them because then you get Northwestern, Illinois, and Michigan State, who are all kind of mediocre – teams Illinois is the best of the bunch but if you can parlay this into four straight wins and then you get Iowa and Ohio State to finish the year um, I think that they're looking at a really a really comfortable seed in the in the tournament right now they're on the three line which I think in the tournament being on the three seed is a really good spot to be in for this Maryland team Mm -hmm. Um, you're not you know you're not going to be the one two obviously but you're getting a home game for the NCAA because women's does home they host um, NCAA tournament games and I think that that you parlay that into it but um, hosting a game, yeah, College Park. Uh, I know you've talked to me a little bit about the attendance. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, are, what are your guys' thoughts on that? If you watch teams like South Carolina and UConn LSU on ES- LSU on ESPN, you see those games have left. massive, massive crowds there. Something, something needs to change in College Park because the attendance is lacking for a team with this much talent year in and year out, like this program. There's some attendance issues that need to change, especially when you host a conference, not a conference game, an NCAA game. Yeah, I was talking to a team spokesperson, um, and they were saying that, you know, they've tried everything. They try giveaways. They try to promote it in stamp. They try to promote it at, you know, dining Dining halls. It's like they give out, they promote social media. um, And it's just like the students really are the ones, and I'm not like trying to, but... They have a crowd. They have a really weird demographic of that. It's a lot of families and old retired people that comes to their games, like very old people. And then you have like the young, the young like little kids that come with their families. Mm-hmm. But the students are really the ones who don't show out. And I think that you know you have a top ten team in your backyard. I get that you're playing four or five basketball games a week between the men's and women's teams. You're not going to be able to go to all of them. But I think when you have a top ten team and it's on a Sunday at four p.m., I'm really interested to see the attendance today. Because, you know, I think that they should support them. I mean, Maryland women's team is good. They're fun to watch. They shoot a lot of threes. They get up and down the court really easily. It's not like they're boring. Um, I think that something's got something's to gotta change. What, what, what do you think, Brendan, in terms of the attendance? How do you think they can do better? And, and what do you think about that? Well, the one thing I'll say that, you know, you were laughing at it. We had a final one day, and, and you had a game at, at, at 11 a.m. So I think some of the scheduling, which is obviously yeah. not their decision, has kind of hurt them. You're playing a game at 11 a.m. on a weekday. You know, students are, are schooling at right. that hour. Obviously. Um, but, uh, I mean... If not sleeping. If not sleeping. Um, you know, I think you would hope um, as as that, that people would show up to uh, bigger games. Uh, big, big Ten tournament games, obviously not there, but, uh, you know, NCAA tournament games at home. And so we'll only have to wait and see what will happen with that. Yeah, definitely. And, and it'll be interesting to see Diamond Miller um, is a stud. So I, I think that going out and seeing her at least in, in her final couple games will be important Absolutely. for Maryland fans because she's going to be a top five projected pick. And look out for a story coming up soon, a big feature piece I'm doing. So Cav, feature you want to do, our Terrific Terp of the Week, it's back. This week's Terrific Terp is Dante Trader Jr. from the Maryland men's lacrosse team. 
doesn't that guy also play football? He does. Trader is also a safety on the football team. And after the football season, he decided to head on over to the lacrosse field. He, he decided he wanted to stick around in the CQ Stadium this year. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah, that's a very good question. It's a beautiful stadium. But Trader Jr., coming out of high school, was a top 10 recruit in the class of 21. Uh, at a McDonough High School, which is a private school in Maryland, he was a highly touted recruit and uh, actually ended up turning down his offers to play football at Maryland. Um, since the season has started, Trader has assimilated himself back into the lacrosse locker room, and he's taken the uh, short stick defensive midi route. In high school, he was a heavily touted uh, offensive player, but he's decided to put his defensive skills to use as he does on the football field, and is now a, uh, a very effective defensive midi. So Maryland lost guys like Roman Puglisi, Bubba Fairman, Jake Higgins, all who went to the PLL draft, and now Coach John Tillman has Dante Trader Jr. to step in to try and use that uh, six-foot, 190-pound defensive back frame to try and fill some gaps on the lacrosse field, and he's well on his way to making an impact in this Terps defense. Um, also, just wanted to highlight, freshman Braden Erksa scored his first goal with the uh, Terrapins this weekend, and he finished with three points, while junior Owen Murphy led the team with four points. I think there is one thing to be on both teams, be in both locker rooms. There's nothing to play on both teams and play a lot of minutes in both games. That's true, yeah. Trader's definitely, he's not just, he's not riding the bench. He's getting out there, and he's putting in work. He's getting a, ground a balls. A month after the football season ended. Oh, yeah. months. Very, very quick turnaround. Just about no recovery. He's got to get back in the yeah. gym. He's got to just work for a completely different sport, too. There are a lot of, um, I guess, parallels between football and lacrosse. Well, you're playing defense. but you are, Yeah, playing defense, but even just the physical aspect, like the just the exercise, you have to you have to be very, yeah, well, obviously you have to be in very good shape, but running up and down the field, a lot of running in lacrosse is the fastest game on two feet as uh, most people in the lacrosse community have probably heard that one before. But uh, Trader Jr. has definitely been able to translate his skills from the football field over to the lacrosse field. And even we've seen – this isn't the first time like a football player has played lacrosse. It's very common for guys to play both sports, huh. but not at as high a level at this. But I imagine the hardest thing about it is if he was doing it in high school, you have a much longer break in between the sports. Yeah. That's true. That's yeah. true. You definitely get a lot of time to like recover – Completely like I mean, separate. Wouldn't each. start again for high school, so that's true. It starts. I mean, for the proper. I mean, if you're doing club, obviously, yeah. but but um, you definitely get more time to like get yourself in the mindset of the sport. Just like completely shift gears over from football to lacrosse. I remember back in uh, back in high school, some of my friends would play football in the fall and play lacrosse in the spring. They'd just completely be able to separate it. They got a few months in between, but um, there's definitely a lot that you can. Uh, bring from both games and even share you can even share some stuff that goes from lacrosse over to the football field like your defensive positioning footwork shuffling awareness of defenders on the field there's a lot of a lot of things that connect in these sports yeah and to uh to round out the podcast mike we finished this segment in the first semester but tell us about the picks all right uh <laughs> in last place we got sam at 15 oh, and yeah. 17 <laughs> Third, That's impressively bad. Third, third, so hot. third place, we got Cavett, 15, 16, and 1. Second place, Brendan at 16 and 16. We that different, dude. Relax. 
I think. <laughs> and yours truly, Big Mike, 17 and 15 in wow, first really place. Yeah. So we'll make sure we celebrate that one week yeah. on the semester. Yeah, Mike. Good, good job. You know, you managed to come through, and uh, it was a fun segment. Impressive. Was, very, very well done, Mike. It was very close. We're yeah. going to find a way to do this again this semester. We'll Definitely. find something. We'll brainstorm. Mm -hmm. All right. Cav, take two. us away. Cav, take us away. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to Under the Shell, presented by Terrapin Sports Central. As always, enjoy your evening. We'll see you next time.